the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in this new series called The Exodus, as the end of this series will end with Easter. Now, as the children of Israel were slaves to the Pharaoh, there are things in all of our lives that you may also be a slave to. Is it addiction? Is it fear? Or maybe it's abuse, modern-day slavery. Pastor Sean will share three key things to living free. And living free means living out God's plan and purpose for your life. ReachingForRealLife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. If you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do so today. There's a place to give at ReachingForRealLife.org. The message today is called Breaking Free. Again, the series is called The Exodus. Sean starts off in Exodus chapter 5. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. We're looking at different vignettes. We're not going through the book of Exodus the way we sometimes do, just go through an entire book, but we're just taking some lessons in preparation for Easter and for Passover, that that whole idea, because that's really where it all comes from. The idea, and so many times in the New Testament, this, the, the Exodus is used as a picture of God's deliverance of his people. Now, last week, we addressed this issue of slavery, of God's people as slaves, And we saw that while we aren't enslaved literally like the children of Israel, or physically, let me say that, there is so much in this world of ours that enslaves us. Main point, the thing we learned was that God created us to be free, but freedom can only be found in service of the king. Kind of an ironic idea. We're called to be free, but freedom is found in service of the king because we will give ourselves in service to something. We will worship something. And I've said before, if you look at a person's checkbook, you look at their calendar, you can kind of look and see what's important to us. We'll see those things that are most important in where we spend our time, where our thought life is, where we invest our energy. The fact is we are going to give ourselves to something. That's why freedom can only be found in service of the king because he is the one who takes us, when we surrender our lives to him, give our lives to him, and instead of making us slaves, he makes us sons and daughters, and he sets us free, and we become children of the king. So that's where true freedom is found. That's what we looked at. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 5. Because today, the title of the message is Breaking Free. And the, you know, the whole idea is we've got to stop and say, whoa, whoa, not so fast. Because breaking free is not as easy as it sounds. And we live in a world that doesn't just let that happen without a fight. And that's, we, we see that, I don't think, anywhere more powerfully illustrated in the Scripture than right here, Exodus chapter 5. Remember, God had said to Moses, I want you to go to my people. My people are enslaved. I've heard their cry. I want you to go, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let them And so in 5, we're told, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, and notice the first thing he said wasn't no. Before he said no, he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. 
And that actually, if you're Pharaoh, makes perfect sense because they're coming and saying, God says he went, I don't know this God. Why should that matter to me? And, and we got to stop and remember. So often as we operate in the course of our culture and our world, we're confronting, and I think this is becoming more and more obvious now, and I think we're feeling it more. People look at us and go, wait a minute, I don't know your God. You know, in America, we're pretty comfortable in the past 50 years saying things like, well, you know, the Bible says, well, now people look at you, who cares what the Bible says? Here, I've got this other book. I've got this interesting novel. And you know what it says? I'm like, but that's fiction. doesn't matter. It's truth to me. And what they're basically saying is, I don't know this God of yours. And that's what Pharaoh was letting them know. He may be God to you, but he's not God to me. And for those of us living in the United States, that's kind of a change because we live in a nation that had a lot of Christian people. A lot of our founders were Christ followers. A lot of our institutions had Christian principles and things at its roots. And so we've kind of enjoyed most favored status for a lot of years in the United States, which is very unusual in church history. That is not typical. And as we lose that, quite demonstrably, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, um, it's hard. We're struggling with that. And we're starting to kind of experience a little bit of what Moses and Aaron felt when Pharaoh looked and goes, yeah, I don't know this God. And how are we going to navigate a world where we hear the same thing? So he said, I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of heaven, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go. See, at least they were polite. They started out polite, then it got hardcore. Okay, we're going to see. But please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give people straw, give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for them. Let me read that better. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. This is where this idea of making bricks with no straw comes from. The Egyptians would provide these Hebrew people, even though they were slaves, they would provide them with the straw, and they had a quota of bricks. What Pharaoh is saying, oh, you got time to worry about going out in the wilderness? You got time to worry about heading out and doing worship and all these other things? Well, then you obviously have too much time on your hands. So what I'm going to do is you have the same number of bricks, same quota, but now you got to go get the straw too. And it's like, are you kidding me? But people understandably complain. Pharaoh says, well, you're just lazy and this is all on you. Well, then the people, Exodus 5, 20 through 23, let me just read that to you. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came up from Pharaoh. And they said to them, they said to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge because you've made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So they blame Moses. And then Moses does what any good leader does. He blames God. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, why have you done evil to this people? 
Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he's done evil to this people. You've not delivered your people at all. What they're expecting to have happened. God met Moses at a burning bush. They'd seen powerful manifestations. Throw down the rod, it becomes a snake. Leprosy of the hand. Oh, God's coming in power. They expected to go into Pharaoh. God wants you to let his people go, and they're very polite. And so they expected Pharaoh, whatever he did, and then God and Pharaoh just to be a smoldering little pile of ashes. Or Pharaoh all of a sudden to do like someone does when a Jedi does them. I will let the people go, you know. But that didn't happen. Nothing happened except they got more work, except things just got harder. Their misery was increased. And so they start screaming at Moses, hey, what, why did you do this? Why did you even come into our lives? We, we had hard enough before, and now it's even harder. And Moses talks to the Lord, and he complains to the Lord. And what God t- says to Moses then is, Moses, it ain't over till I say it's over. I am going to deliver my people. But Pharaoh's going to choose to do this the hard way. Flip over to chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. As Moses and the Lord are talking. The Lord said to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. Your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. In other words, God says, I am going to do a powerful work. And we know what's coming. We know that there's ten plagues that are going to be coming. Although I multiply the signs and wonders, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Remember what he said to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and he's not going to listen to you any more than he listens to me. That's what he's saying. He will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them. Verse 7, look at this. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Man, if you're here and you're a little up in years, it's never too late. This is the pinnacle. This is the big stuff in Moses' life. And he's just getting started at 80. And older brother Aaron's 83. So if you're here and you're like, you're thinking, oh, I'm old, I'm retired, now I'm put out the pasture wrong. You're not dead yet, you're not done yet. That's how it works. God's got stuff. As long as you, as long as you can breathe, as long as you can pray, as long as you can talk to someone, who knows what God will do if we'll just say yes, no matter where we are. He says, I'm going to do signs and wonders. I'm going to bring my judgment. He's talking about the ten plagues that are very well known in the story of Moses. Now, do you know why there were ten plagues? Do you know why there were ten plagues? Very specific reason, there were ten plagues. Because Pharaoh said no ten times. Had Pharaoh said yes after the first time, boom, done. But he kept saying no. The fact that there are ten plagues is a testimony to unbelievable arrogance and pride and stubbornness, a self-destructive pride. You know, you look in the next chapters, I think it's what, 7 through 12, yeah, are these plagues. And, and you watch, and you'll watch for the first couple plagues, the, the advisors and the other leaders in Egypt are with Pharaoh. After a few, they're like, dude, there's something going on here. We should just let these people go. Don't let the door hit them. Well, you know. And this is where we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Breaking Free. The series is called The Exodus, which is available right now on the sermon page at reachingforreallife.org. 
And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. And in fact, your gift of any amount will get you the latest book from Pastor Sean Azar. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast Podcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message Breaking Free. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. But Pharaoh, no. He would even say, yes, okay, stop, and I'll let the people go, and then he'd renege. Such a testimony to the arrogance of the human heart and pride and rebellion and stubbornness. Here's the plagues, remember? The first one was water to blood. We were, and and many people were really without water for quite a while, and that was kind of a scary thing. You had to get bottles from H-E-B and everything. They had no H-E-B. They had no bottles. There was no water. It was all blood. And it's like, holy cow. And then the frogs, And you're like, what's the big deal about frogs? Well, when you have frogs everywhere, every cabinet, every bag of food, every drawer where there are clothes, I have a pool and I have frogs that get in the pool and they are my arch enemies. We have this great battle every kind of spring and summer. And because of that, snakes are guests of honor by my pool. You know? (laughs) Little kids back there, Why? Because the snakes can reason with the frogs. That's why. <laughs> no, but you're like, wait a minute. You prefer snakes to frogs? The snakes, they, I, I never see the snakes. Snakes never, never bother anybody. The frogs get in the pool, and, and they don't just get in and get out, take a little swim, get their towel, and go, all right? No, they get stuck in the skimmers. And then, if God forbid, I'm not there, you know, and, and then I got a dead frog in the skimmer, and that's a drag. Or they're alive. I throw them out, and then two days later, they're back. So the snakes take care of that problem for me. Love them snakes. That's a few. Go snakes. Yeah. I'm going to wear a little jersey. Go snakes. Team snakes, right? That's a couple little frogs in the pool. These are frogs everywhere in everything. Unbelievable pestilence. Well, then goes on. Gnats. And you're like, well, that's horrible. Gnats get in your eyes. Then ramp it up. Bigger gnats. Flies. Then the death of livestock, which is not only horrible, and it's their livelihood. Boils. Hail, which destroys everything. Locusts, which eats and destroys whatever is left. Darkness for three days. Absolute darkness. They had no electricity. There were no light switches. Darkness for three days. No stars. No moon. Day and night. And then the ultimate, which we'll talk a little bit about next week, the death of the firstborn, which in the very beginning God said to Moses, this is what's going to happen, because he knew. 
two very important lessons that they saw, and I think we saw. One, leaving slavery is hard. It doesn't just happen easily. And two, this world does not let go without a fight. And that's where I want us to pause, because you wonder, why, why do we have these stories in Exodus? Well, because we learn the nature of God, we learn the nature of man, we learn the nature of the world we live in. That's why we have these stories. And this world does not let go of its captives without a fight. And if we don't understand that as people who are born into sin, born into the flesh, we are captives of this world. That's what we talked about last week, this slavery. And we go, well, all I have to do is say a prayer and accept Jesus, which that phrase isn't necessarily in the Bible, surrender my life to Jesus, and then the world just leaves me alone. It doesn't work that way. No, this world fights. Good news is greater is he who's in me than he that is in the world. But we better be prepared. We better know this. I think we don't understand how the world is. The question is, how do we see the world? How do we see the world that we live in? I think sometimes we get very confused about the world because the Scripture talks about the world as one of the three great enemies of our soul. There's Satan, spiritual enemy of our souls. There's the flesh, that's the carnal nature, the sin nature in us, and then there's the world. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 describes all three. You were dead in the trespass of sin, that's the flesh in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, there's the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's Satan, the enemy, the spiritual enemy, the three enemies of the soul. 1 John 2, 15, 16, says specifically, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is our enemy. And some of you right now are like, wait a minute, stop, stop, stop. Wait a minute, what about John three sixteen? For God so loved the world. What about the Great Commission? We're supposed to go make disciples of all nations. This is kind of confusing. And I think it's very important. We have to understand that there is this clear distinction between the people of the world versus the spirit of the world. Understand that. The people of the world versus the spirit of the world. The people of the world are who we are called to call out of darkness into light. The spirit of this world is our enemy. But here's the problem, okay? It's not that simple. You're like, oh, that's very, that's very nice. Wrap that up with a bow and, and let's just put that off to the side. And it doesn't work that way because the problem is the only way we ever see the spirit of this world is in the people of this world. That's the problem. People embody the spirit. For example, in Exodus, Pharaoh was a person, a face, a name, person who said, you cannot go and I will do everything in my power to stop you. The army that chased them when Pharaoh ultimately did break and let them go, the army that Pharaoh sent to chase them and try to capture and kill them was a bunch of people. So it it can be very hard to separate. But we need to understand this world is a force and its desire is to enslave and capture us. We get taught torn between this love the world or leave the world and i want to say yes both if you're taking notes i want you to write this down here's the big idea you'll never reach the world until you've truly been set free from the world see before we can ever reach the world we have to be set free from the world this is a really important big idea and unless we understand the world as it is we this won't make sense 
will be like, you're making a big deal out of nothing. No, I'm not. And the church is hurting badly because we don't understand this concept. We don't understand the nature of the world. We don't understand the slavery that we are in and how hard the world fights to keep us when we are brought from darkness into light. Someone who understood slavery, her story is absolutely amazing, is Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman. Her story is extraordinary. If you've seen the movie, how many of you guys have seen the movie? On, I think it's on, on Amazon Prime, Harriet. Yeah, it's worth the watch. You should, you should watch it because she was an extraordinary lady, and they do a nice job. And, and it does a good job of depicting her kind of her early years, her youth, and her Underground Railroad years, which are kind of the famous stuff. But the fact is one movie can't really capture a life like hers. The more I read about her, the more amazing she becomes, and I become even a bigger fan. Harriet was born into slavery in Maryland around 1820. don't know exact dates because she was born as a slave, and they didn't keep records. Her growing up as a slave involved everything, all the horrors and all the horrific things that you can imagine. She was rented out to other slave owners as a five-year-old and beaten horribly. She watched her family members being sold as livestock, suffered unbelievable abuse, horrors that would break a lesser person. But she was, and a lot of people don't really, they they don't emphasize this enough, it, it shaped who she was. She was a devout and a serious Christ follower. She truly believed in the power of God. In fact, after a near fatal head injury at the age of 13 from her master, she began having fainting spells. And she claimed that during those, she would often hear from God, and he would speak to her in visions. The fact is, her passionate faith and her belief that she was hearing the voice of God played significantly and a big role in her decision at 29 years old to escape to freedom. She was 29. Understand, the first almost 30 years of her life, she was a slave, and all that that entails and all that that means Well, at 29, she convinced her two brothers to join her, but they quickly realized how dangerous this was. And they soon turned back, seeing the 100-mile journey as far too dangerous. She continued on alone, with nothing more than the help of a few sympathetic abolitionists along the way. History records for us that Harriet Tubman crossed the state line into Pennsylvania and freedom in September of 1849. Now, here's what's interesting. If her story ended here, she'd be known as a brave and extraordinary person, wouldn't she? I mean, we'd go, wow, that's, that's pretty courageous. She broke out of something that was, that was horrible. But we know she's just getting started. She got a job as a maid in Philadelphia, but she couldn't just kind of start over and enjoy a life of freedom. She couldn't live with the thought of her family and friends who were still enslaved in Maryland. So in Philadelphia, she connected with a group of abolitionists and determined to become what they called a conductor on the Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad was this, these different places along the way that would help escaping slaves and that were run by the abolitionists. And a conductor was like a guide. And so she wanted to become one of these guides. Well, over the next 10 years, she made 13 trips back, each time risking her own freedom, probably risking her, her life. 13 trips back leading over 70 people out of slavery. Now, she claims 70. Others have suggested more than 300 people owed their freedom to Harriet Tubman. Now, we all knew that part. That was the part I knew. 
What I didn't know is when the Civil War broke out in 1861, she became a spy and a scout for the Union Army. And it was because of her extensive knowledge of the geography and the workings of the slave underground. So we're like, wow, this woman is unbelievable. But she's not done. In her later years, we find out that she lived with family and friends on a piece of property that she owned. And you're like, wait a minute. Okay, she was a slave. She came back, began doing all these things. How did she ever have time or the ability to buy a piece of property? Her job as a maid. And somehow she was able to buy a piece of property, and they built a home so family and friends lived there. She, a few years later, bought the piece of property next door, the adjacent property, and she built and founded the Harriet Tubman Home for Aged and Indigent Colored People. And years later, at 90 years old, when she was sick and needed care, she died of pneumonia at 90 there in that home. And I'm just like, holy cow, this woman's entire life, who, who is she? What an amazing passion. It's like she could never stop. What you need to know, look in those eyes. You want to mess with her? Here's the deal. The movie depicted her as kind of hard and a little bit radical, you know, not really understanding of people who, who weren't serious. And I'm like, when you think about what she went through, you think about what she had to fight to break free, and you think about what was at stake, it's like, yeah, I guess that would make you a little bit radical. I guess that could make you uh, the kind of person that, you know, more laid back people might not really be able to relate to because she had this incredible drive. And see, here's the thing. She was radical because those who've been enslaved and truly set free, understand what's at stake. Like maybe nobody else does. They know what enslavement is like. They know the crushing, soul-crushing heartbreak. And then they know what freedom is like. It's like, I want to do whatever I can to see people set free. That is Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. If you'd like to hear this full message in the series called The Exodus, it's available right now on demand at reachingforreallife.org. And we'd also love to hear from you on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotoma Park, right next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.